Hello, my name's Frank and I'm the host of the UFO Thinker podcast. I'd always been mildly interested in UFOs, but like many people, the events of 2017 ignited a fire of curiosity for the UFO topic, which has been raging ever since. I wanted to start a podcast, but initially thought, well, I'm not an astrophysicist, I'm not a fighter pilot, and I've never even seen a UFO. I'm just a normal guy who's interested in this mystery. But that's when a light bulb went off. There are so many other people just like me who are fascinated with this stuff. So why not start a podcast to talk about it from the ordinary guy's perspective? All the BS stripped away, as a few people have said. And let's see if we can get to the truth in all of this. Thanks to everyone who's been on board with the journey so far. It's been amazing to see so many listeners tuning in. And if you're new here, welcome. You can now support the podcast on Patreon with tiers starting from £3 per month. The podcast will always be 100% free, but supporting the show in this way allows me to devote more time and make the show bigger and better. Higher tiers also include special benefits such as being able to suggest episode topics and get merchandise. And I really truly appreciate every listener whether you support on Patreon or not. So now with all of that said, let's get into today's episode. Hello and welcome to the UFO Thinker podcast. My name's Frank and let's get cracking with the first episode of the podcast in 2022. So happy new year everybody. I hope you had a very nice uh, new year. I had a very quiet one as always. To be honest with you, I never really make a big deal out of the new year in the first place. I tend to have a quite quiet. I've never really been into the party in a new year thing apart from, you know, perhaps when I was in my early 20s a bit different, but these days I'm a bit of an old man. I like to just relax by the fire and uh, watch documentaries about UFOs and stuff. Um <laughs> so um that's what I was doing. I hope you have had a good one whatever you did. So um, today is another recent events episode, but before we get into that, a um, couple of things that uh, came out over the festive period, so just in case anybody may have missed what's uh, come out over the holidays, it might be worth going checking back. Um, there was the Christmas episode that I did was the Turkey UFO, um, so it had a bit of a Christmas intro for a minute or two, but then the rest of the episode was actually quite a deep dive into the Turkey um, Kumbagaz UFO incident. Um, so that that may be of interest um, if you if you did miss it over the holidays, uh, and also as well, uh, the one that came out uh, just a few days ago as I record this actually, but it'll be last week probably by the time this episode goes live is uh, another Voices of the UFO Community episode with Nick Gadman, and it was a really interesting conversation. So if you've not checked that one out, definitely worth going having a look. Um, it's all about Nick's experiences from childhood um, of of seeing triangle UFOs and and things that that carried on up until the present day really. So yeah, definitely worth having a look. But as I said, this is a, a, a recent events episode so we're going to get straight into it as always with these recent events episodes um, I'm going to be putting some timestamps in the episode description so if you don't want to listen to all the me chuttering on at the beginning and you just want to get to a specific element of what's happened you can just jump straight to that time um, and, and like I've said before another reason that I do that is because I've spent so long 
searching for a specific thing that happens within an interview or a podcast and um you know like say for example i don't know lou elizondo's on a particular show and you know that he said something about a particular topic but you just can't remember what bit of the conversation and you're skipping forward and backwards trying to find it so i'm just thought just in case there is anybody who does something like that with my podcast where you want to hear a specific bit that i talked about you can just jump straight to the time so generally the conversations like the ones with the voices of the community won't have that um, just to keep the conversation a little bit more um you know free flowing and you know you that... to continue on your personal device what are you talking about siri sorry about that just had to um give my uh, siri on my iphone uh, my iwatch even a bit of a telling off right but anyway i'm getting sidetracked here what was i saying yeah so that's basically the reason that i do these uh, timestamps is just so that if you do need to find anything or you want to skip a certain bit you can do and um like i've said before i always make my intro exactly a minute and a half so if you want to skip it skip to one minute and a half and you don't have to listen to the little intro spiel at the beginning of each episode anyway it's time to get into the actual bits and bobs that have happened then so uh, first of all, just wanted to touch on this to get it out of the way. There's been a bit of a controversy around an email from Susan Goff. Um, and the idea of this was, let me just get to the tweet. It was a, a guy called Roger Glassell on Twitter. I'll be honest, not somebody that I was aware of before um, this this thing with this particular tweet. And um, uh, what what happened was basically, you may have seen, you know, if you're on UFO Twitter or if you're not on there, you probably won't have seen. Um, but what, what actually happened was um, he has sent a, a query to um, Susan Goff, who basically handles all of the UFO stuff on behalf of uh, the, uh, the DOD. Uh, she's now classed as the Department of Defense spokesperson. And essentially, from what, what I can gather, anything goes through her. So she basically is the point of contact um, for, for all of the various departments, uh, you know, the, all of the various different groups and things within the Department of Defense to make sure that their messaging to the public is consistent. Um, now, that doesn't sound too... Um, too sinister or anything like that but actually i think there's a little bit more behind it and i'm thinking about possibly doing a um, specific episode on susan goff what she's done in the past her current role and some of the controversies that, that have surrounded some of the things that she's done but basically long story short She's not exactly the most favourite person amongst the users of UFO Twitter for various reasons, but as I say, we're not getting into too much on that for now. Um, essentially, Susan Goff's the person who most inquiries relating to things to do with UAP goes through. Um, and uh, the particular situation that came up recently was, um, let's say, Roger Glassell um, has, has basically emailed uh, Susan Goff with a query about how um, the NDAA 2022 um, proposed UAP office will kind of cross over or um, have any relation to the AOI MSG, which is the group uh, that, that's already been uh, established by um, the uh, DOD on November the 23rd. So, what the reply was, was, Roger, the department will take necessary steps to comply with any enacted legislation. On November the 23rd, Deputy, Deputy Secretary Hicks established the Airborne Object Identification and Management Synchronization Group and the Airborne Object Identification and Management Executive Council to provide oversight. 
As you may recall, we've been developing implementing guidance for the AOI MSG. We're now working with ODNI on the implementing guidance to ensure that the AOI MSG meets congressional intent. We have nothing else to announce at this time regards to golf, blah, blah, blah. So I think basically what was being put across by uh, Roger Glassell was that Susan Goff and and you know whoever she's working with behind the scenes there uh, are trying to kind of strong arm um, the 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 new legislation that's been put forward through the Gillibrand amendment to be sort of replaced essentially by the AOI MSG or, or something along the lines of saying oh we don't need this new UAP office because we're going to handle it all we we can cover the the congressional you know intent you know everything that's proposed we've got that covered but actually. I don't actually think that that's what's being said there. I mean, actually, if you look into the what I've just read out, it's pretty vague in general. And essentially, it's just saying that they're working on implementing guidance to ensure that the AOIMSG meets what Congress are actually asking for. So I actually read that first off, and I thought what that may actually be is that the AOIMSG are going to be the ones that are handling um the military uh you know airspace which is is what is actually in the text of the aoi msg um is it, their kind of you know mission statement their purpose is to to gather information from um you know essentially like classified airspace you know over restricted locations like military bases and, and things like that so I kind of read it, maybe I'm being a bit naively hopeful, but I sort of read it as that they're trying to make sure that they um, cooperate with what is being required of them by Congress and that they are going to, you know, basically work with this new UAP office. And I'm thinking that what may happen is that AOIMSG will just collect all of that data from over you know military bases and and anything to do with the military restricted airspace and so on and they'll feed that data back into the uap office now it may not be the case i'm hoping that is the case but i really think it's another one of these storm in a teacup type things and there's sometimes i think probably a bit of a um you know a bit of a vacuum in really big news so there's almost seems like a bit of a scramble everybody's trying to have some new big scoop you know and um, which is something i really try and stay away from because i always think rather than trying to bring the scoop to the table as quick as possible you're better off letting things shake out you know get the bigger picture and and then kind of bring something forward you know which is perhaps a bit more of a, a thorough way to do it and i think in the absence of any really big cases coming to light or any big new leaks or any any you know something crazy happening that scramble kind of happens where people are trying to um you know make a story that's not really that big of a story into a big story and i, th I think this is one of those um as i say i mean again it's a quite a vague statement in general and i think if anything you could take that to mean that they're actually you know they're, they're cooperating they may be begrudgingly cooperating but it seems like they are actually cooperating so another bit of a storm in a teacup in my opinion obviously you may disagree um but we won't really know until everything actually shakes out anyway so it's best just to see how things unfold uh, and take it from there because it may be that what i've just said is completely wrong what roger glassell has assumed is completely wrong and something completely different happens so we're better off just reacting to it as it actually happens 
rather than trying to read things into something that may or may not even be the case. So moving on from that, I just wanted to get that out of the way because a few people have mentioned it to me and things like that. So um, that that's basically my thoughts. Everything's been worked out behind the scenes regarding you know the, the the legal hoops that have got to be jumped through and everything to set up this UAP office and who's going to staff it and all the various different kind of boring stuff really. Everything's still kind of being worked out. So and um, we'll see how everything continues to progress. So moving on from that, there was an article by uh, the Vatican Observatory uh, website and uh, I wanted to, to comment on this and go into it a little bit, really quite baffling uh, a lot of the things that were being said in this particular article. Uh, and I initially saw this, it was it was actually retweeted by um, D.W. Pasulka who wrote American Cosmic and um, she's obviously had some dealings with uh, the Vatican and, and, and being there and things like that and, and has written about the, the links between religion and UFOs quite extensively so obviously that's why she's got an interest in this and uh, that's how it first popped up on the timeline for me as I saw her retweet it. So from the uh, Vatican Observatory website, just a little bit of information about the actual Vatican Observatory, because there may be people who don't even realise that the Vatican have an observatory. So let me just give a bit of information about that first. So this is the way that they describe it on their own website. So, quote... The Vatican Observatory is one of the oldest astronomical research institutions in the world. Though we can trace our roots back to the reform of the calendar by Pope Gregory XIII in 1582, the modern version of the observatory was established by Pope Leo XIII in 1891, so that everyone might see clearly that the church and her pastors are not opposed to true and solid science, whether human or divine, but that they embrace it, encourage it, and promote it with the fullest possible devotion." Unquote. So that's quite a noble cause, really, I, you know, and it, I found that quite interesting that even going back to, you know, the hundreds of years ago, you know, the, the, the Catholic Church were, were quite clearly cooperating with science you know sometimes there's this debate of like science versus religion and things like that when people are talking about uh, these kind of topics but you can see there that even going back a hundred or so years the catholic church were quite open to embracing science and, and the study of uh, the world through a through the lens of, of of science if you like and basically it goes on to say that they have a headquarters uh, located at the papal summer residence uh, just outside rome and they also have a research center which is um using a, a very large telescope called the alice p lennon telescope and um and all of that is located in Arizona in the United States. So they have uh, headquarters in Rome or just outside Rome. And then they also have uh, a telescope itself as well, which is in the United States in Arizona. So the website um, vaticanobservatory.org has recently published an article by Mr. Christopher Graney. Uh, from what I can see is a professor of physics at the Jefferson Community and Technical College in Louisville, Kentucky. And he is interested in the history of astronomy, especially of the late 16th and 17th centuries. And it seems that he's actually wrote books about um, the way that things were seen in the time of Galileo, which is something that we've talked about on the podcast before with the Galileo project and so on, how 
people didn't want to accept the findings of Galileo uh, because it, it kind of conflicted with certain um, you know dogmatic beliefs that they held and that they didn't want those to be questioned um, so bearing that in mind I actually find it quite ironic that Mr Graney has, has written books on that and yet doesn't see the irony perhaps that that's exactly what he himself is displaying in the articles uh, that I was that I'm about to talk about so in, in fact so much so that it, this almost reads like a spoof article you know I don't think that it is because uh, it you know the tone of it is is you know wouldn't really make sense to be a spoof article but it's almost funny in parts uh, to be quite honest i mean um we'll go into a few of the, the reasons that i think that so uh, quote in 2021 ufos and extraterrestrials were all the rage in the media before the release of the preliminary assessment unidentified aerial phenomena report from the office of the director of national intelligence on june 25th even some Catholic media asked what it would mean for religion were we to find out that we are not alone. Not a new question, certainly, in brackets. When the report actually came out, however, all that went away. That should be no surprise if we think critically and scientifically about the UAP question. Uncritical reports in the media, such as the New York Times writing about UAPs and Navy pilots, described UAPs violating basic laws of physics. Supposedly, they lacked engines and exhaust, creating no turbulence in the air, yet could stop suddenly, turn instantly, and easily outrun a Navy F-18 jet. Unquote. So, that's quite a long quote again there, but that, that was a, a kind of a key paragraph that sort of gives you a feel for what's being talked about. So, let's go through some of those statements that are being made in this article, and, and I'll go through why, exactly why I feel that it's a bit baffling. So first, kind of schoolboy error there is to suggest that there's an inextricable link between UFOs and extraterrestrials. Because as if you're, you know, dig into this subject even a little bit, you know, as you will know, there are many different hypotheses as to what UFOs actually are, what they represent, what could be behind them. And, and actually, there could be many things behind it and, and many different various aspects of the phenomenon could be explained in different ways so we just don't know for sure but it feels like a massive oversimplification to put it like the way it was worded in that article so it's basically missing out all the subtleties of of, of the conversation and essentially just saying ufos aliens little green men yeah what i mean it's, it sounds like something that would have been you know discussed 20 years ago which it could be that the person who wrote this article is in that mindset from from 20 years ago it really seems a bit of a, a completely baffling approach which honestly to me just suggests that the author has not done the homework to be quite honest next the the quote when the report came out all of that went away another baffling statement i mean really when the report came out things started to really heat up you know there's been various new documentaries come out from ross coltart the, the hbo documentary by jj jj abrams love it or hate it you know a lot of people hated it but still it was a big deal it made a big splash you know 
and there there was the appearances from for Lou Elizondo on various podcasts which you know really took off a few of them went sort of semi-viral and um you know there's, there's really been quite a roller coaster of events taking place which culminated in the signing into law of over the last couple of weeks of the legislation which will lead to the founding of this new UAP office as requested by the Gillibrand amendment I mean look I do recent events podcasts and I've been rushed off my feet to cover all of the recent events. So that doesn't really suggest that all of it went away after the report came out. You know, it seems a bit blind to the reality, really. I mean, there's not been anything that's made as big of a splash as when the report came out. But, you know, there's been a lot going on if, if you actually bother to look into it. I mean, I think actually one of my first or second episodes was about the UAP task force report. I think that's kind of what spurred me on to actually start the podcast really. Um, and as I say, I've not been short of things to talk about on the podcast ever since. So I just think that it's a bit of a baffling comment that the report came out and all of it went away as if to suggest the report just made it, the whole thing seem, you know, um, seem silly. But it just didn't. I mean, that's not at all what I took from it. And it just seems a, a strange viewpoint to have uh, if you look at what's actually happened. And then the third point is, again, a huge oversimplification that these objects actually defy known physics. I mean, they, they may appear to do some pretty extreme movements, but, you know, as we'll get to shortly, there are some top scientists who have put together hypotheses explaining how this kind of technology actually doesn't violate known physics. But we'll come to that in a little bit. But going back to um, the article... The article was actually based on a previous article from a couple of years ago. So the previous article was in 2019 and as a, as a couple of real clangers of quotes as well, which we'll go through. Uh, I don't mean to bash this guy's article. Um, in fact, no, I do mean to bash this guy's article. I don't mean to bash the guy because that's I always try and steer away from that. Don't know the person, maybe a fantastic guy. Who knows? This may have actually been written as a joke. I, I really don't think that it is, but there's always the possibility. So I've absolutely nothing against the author but the article itself um bit of a shocker in my opinion so this is a quote from the previous 2019 article quote as thunder follows lightning and as smoke follows fire space aliens follow ufos and so it is here the new york times makes certain to state that quote experts caution that earthly explanations often exist for such incidents and not knowing the explanation does not mean that the event has interstellar origins unquote again a bit of a bizarre take nobody is suggesting that all unidentified objects are 100 percent space aliens nobody said that and it's a bit of a bizarre way to look at it anybody who bothers to do a bit of research will we'll tell you that, that a high percentage of UFOs are misidentifications or have prosaic explanations, you know. But what about the ones that aren't explained in that way, of which there's plenty if you bother to look. And it's, it's you know, it's, as they say, a straw man argument. You know, it's, it's literally saying, okay, let's explore the premise that these things that we're seeing in the sky are definitely aliens from space. You know, of course, that argument is easy to demolish, but nobody seriously looking into this stuff actually thinks that. So it's just a straw man, isn't it? So from the previous article as well, just another quick quote before we move on. Quote, suppose that we argue that the UFOs must operate on some super duper technology that involves principles of physics that our science has not yet discovered. 
principles that negate the principles of acceleration and force described above. Well, that is the same thing as arguing that the UFOs must operate on magic, unquote. I mean, I think that's enough of this now. You know, it's just a strange take and, and it's a bit sad that, that people are still actually even talking about it in, in these terms, even calling it super-duper technology. Um, yeah, it's just a bit bizarre. We're going to move on. And uh, you'll see later on um, why that last quote is so nonsensical, in my opinion. So, yeah, very strange article. I'm not really sure what the motivation was behind it. Um, I'm going to be honest, probably not worth you actually going and reading it. Um, But if you are interested in reading it, I shall just quickly find it. Uh, The title of the actual uh, article. So it's uh, vaticanobservatory.org. And the article is called, God bless you and send you a UFO-less New Year. Um, Yeah, as I say, strange experience reading that, but I thought it was worth going into just to kind of to break down a little bit of, of how, you know, the stigma still exists about UFOs. And that stigma is based on totally non-scientific, nonsensical, um, dogmatic ways of looking at this thing. Um, and thankfully that's changing but there still exist those kind of things and and what's really kind of sad in a way and baffling to me is that a lot of people will read that article and think that it's right on and be like yeah man you know this guy's talking sense um you know anyway moving on totally different uh way of looking at this whole thing is the uh scu uh the scientific coalition for uap study um 2021 keynote presentation with um Dr. Hal Puttoff. So, um, a, a lot of people who listen to the podcast will probably be aware of the the, the SCU um, and probably Hal Puttoff. But let me just go into a little bit of detail about Hal Puttoff because we're going to kind of linger on this point and talk about this for a little while. So, in 1967, uh, Puttoff earned a PhD in electrical engineering from Stanford University and has, has written various papers through his career, uh, also studying parapsychology and remote viewing, and um, was involved in the uh, Project Stargate um, program, which was to look into remote viewing and its applications. Uh, and, it, and it's clear there from, from that that Dr. Puttoff hasn't shied away from the more fringe topics within science with his work. Uh, but he's he's actually acted as a an, an advisor for groups including the DOD, the intelligence communities, and was actually involved with ORSAP and ATIP from the beginning. And uh, he, he after that he went on to co-found uh, TTSA and and has been a, a very good source of information for a long time on the on the UFO topic. Um, in fact, long-term listeners actually will probably remember that uh, I have this little phrase data density which is actually a phrase that I picked up from Dr. Puttoff, which he said during one of his presentations about how the sensor systems and things that we have and the cases involving UAP are now actually much more data dense than they used to be because we've got so many different sensors and so on. Um, So yeah, somebody that I definitely respect um, when it comes to this topic. And obviously you can look into him for yourself, but the reason I go through that is because I feel that based on his background and the literally decades of experience that he has working with the government behind the scenes in these dark, you know, black off the books programs, um, 
he he's, has that direct experience of being involved in all of this stuff. So when he talks, I think it's worth listening. So anyway, the particular video that I'm talking about here um, has literally just come out on the 1st of January uh, 2022, which ironically is the same day as the article that I just went into detail on. And the two ways of, of looking at this topic really couldn't be further apart. So I would definitely recommend watching the whole presentation if you if you have the time to do so, uh, as it's very interesting. And I'm not going to go into that much detail because it's literally, you could press pause every few seconds and talk about it for 10, 15 minutes. There's so much information in there um, that it's really worth uh, going checking out the full thing. Uh, and let me just quickly find uh, how you would how you'd find it. If you type in um, 2021 SCU keynote you'll find it or if you type in keynote put off i think you'll find that as well uh, it's actually on the scientific coalition for uap studies uh youtube channel so uh hopefully you'll be able to find it uh, there i think i was just googling um keynote put off and it comes up as the top one and um, put off is p-u-t-h-o-f-f so uh, let's get into actually what's being discussed so so Dr. Putoff goes into um, what happened after the public were told that there would be no further investigation into UFOs upon the conclusion of uh, Project Blue Book in the late 60s and early 70s. And he points out that in the wording of the Bollander memo, there's actually a bit where it is stated um, and actually, I'm just going to quote directly from the memo here, quote, the termination of Project Blue Book would leave no official federal office to receive reports of UFOs. However, as already stated, reports of UFOs which could affect national security would continue to be handled through the standard Air Force procedures designed for this purpose, unquote. So essentially, the truth of the matter was that the work looking into this area did not stop which I've gone on about this in the podcast many times before. It's not exactly a new revelation, but it's interesting to hear Putoff going into this much detail about it. So when Blue Book was concluded and, and this memo was put forward to say that, you know, um, we're just closing it, there's no need for this Blue Book anymore, blah, 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 it didn't actually stop at all. It just simply closed the public-facing side of it. And then the work into that area continued completely in the dark for decades until the point where finally the New York Times article came out in 2017 and since then obviously much more detail has come to light that indeed there was programs specifically looking into UFOs and obviously that was ORSAP and ATIP over the last couple of decades but obviously there must have been others before that. And Putoff, having been involved in, in this effort from the beginning, that is ORSAP and ATIP, he goes into some detail as well about the formation of ORSAP, which was initially nicknamed ATIP, and the reasons why it was formed, etc. So, obviously, that's quite a confusing tale, the ORSAP ATIP thing. So it's actually always good to get a bit more information and clarity on that, especially from somebody like Putoff who's been involved from the beginning. Now, again, didn't exactly learn anything new here about that, but still interesting to get that viewpoint from you know an insider who's been there since day one. But what I thought was interesting as well is that Putoff 
definitely seems to be very convinced of multiple programs operating in the black over the decades, you know, specifically to look at UFOs before RSAP and ATIP. And it's almost certain that there were many more that we don't know about, or maybe not many more, but at least some more programs that were in existence before RSAP, RSAP and ATIP. And, and Putoff was probably involved in them as well. We know that he worked through the 70s and 80s on these secret government contracts. So I always watch very carefully when he's talking about these things, just in case there's any little breadcrumbs or hints you know, that get dropped. And in this case, I found it very interesting, the mention of these programs operating in the black. That's already been assumed and has been hinted at in the past, but it was interesting to hear it from you know, the horse's mouth, from directly from the source, as they say. And another little thing that he that he mentions um, in in the talk as well is the nature of the threat posed by the UAP, uh, you know, the UFO phenomenon in general. And he breaks it down into two different ways, and this is basically the motivation as to why OSAP was able to be created in the first place, because there's some elements of threat there which justifies the creation of the program or the continuation of the program delving into different areas and so on. So this is what he says about the nature of the threat as it was seen then. Um, the current threat would be AAV, Advanced Aerial Vehicles, uh, I believe that is anyway, um, posing a threat whether they're deployed by an adversary or even possibly off-world vehicles. So that's fairly obvious, isn't it? If you think there may be something flying around in the sky, very advanced vehicle flying about above our heads, there's obviously going to be some element of a threat there because we don't know who's flying it, or at least the public don't know who's flying it and what they're trying to do, what what you know, what the point of it is, what they're capable of. And it could be an adversary, or it could even possibly be off-world vehicles we just you know again technically uh you know we we don't know and there's also then the future threat so what i just mentioned was the current threat as it actually happens at this moment in time or at least as i say in the moment in time when this was discussed originally but the future threat would be what would happen if an adversary cracked this technology or some elements of this technology what if potential adversaries such as Russia, China achieved significant breakthroughs and development of disruptive technologies based on their own evaluations of UAP phenomena from sensor data or crashed retrieved materials? And Potoff actually says, quote, that was the real concern for the DIA and that's what's in their remit to be paying attention to, unquote. So it's, it's quite clear there that this, this whole threat narrative has been discussed quite a lot, but from what it seems, the threat narrative was a big part of actually being able to get things kicked off. So I think that's that's where some of this threat thing comes from. A lot of people, I actually saw something earlier today just before I started recording on UFO Twitter about, um, oh, the, the UFOs aren't a threat, and somebody else said, oh, UFOs are a threat, and so on. And the fact is, we just don't know, do we? We don't have a clue. Unless you've literally gone up in a spacecraft and had a conversation with these beings, but even then you could be being deceived. So let's be honest, we don't know whether or not they're a threat. But as I said, the threat thing, it does allow a certain amount of justification for the creation of these type of programs especially if you're within the military that's the military deal with things in these terms don't they it's the old um 
the old classic analogy uh, that Lou Elizondo has said many times, if you woke up in the morning and you found muddy boot prints across your kitchen floor with no signs of anybody coming in or out of your house, you're not just going to go, ah, oh, well, nobody got hurt, it can't be a threat. You would think, I want to know what the hell is going on here and I want to find out about it as quick as possible and, and, and figure out what's happening. And that's basically what's happening on the planet Earth, isn't it? There's muddy blueprints all over the place and it's baffling to me that people wouldn't want to find out the cause of that. But anyway, that, that was uh, interesting. And, and, and he also goes into uh, some detail about a document that was obtained, which was, uh, quote, the thickness of a telephone book unquote i suppose that depends what tele telephone book you're looking at really uh, mr puts off there perhaps showing his age a little bit as well because let's be honest we, we don't have telephone books anymore do we um but anyway um the, the the thing about this particular document document which was a very extensive document as i say um it showed that the the soviets as early as 1991 had a major UFO investigation program under the military program 73790. And in, in the video, he actually shows a, a, a slide as well, which shows, you know, some of this actual document and what they were actually, how they structured the, the um, it shows how they structured the program and all the various different aspects and how they were linked. And it's, um, multiple science labs and military units and departments all collaborating to try to get to the bottom of what's actually going on with UAP. And apparently this was happening in the early 90s. So it's clear evidence that governments all around the world have indeed been taking the UFO phenomenon seriously for decades now. And if there was nothing to it, they simply wouldn't have been doing that. Now, essentially, one of the things that Putoff was a part of during this kind of time um, of the, the founding of RSAP and so on, was a switch from trying to gather case data and more trying to get to the bottom of how these things could theoretically operate. And, quote, that's what the program was primarily directed toward, unquote. So the DIA had the following 12 potential threat areas with regards to uap and i'm just going to read these out as they appeared on the slide because i thought they were quite interesting so the the 12 main areas with regard to uap that they wanted to look into were lift propulsion control power generation spatial slash temporal translation materials configuration slash structure signature reduction human effects human interface armament and peripheral support so that's in brackets there database archiving and medical and genetics effort now i don't exactly understand how all of that links in but there's definitely some interesting points there and the things that they were specifically trying to look into it, it reads a little bit like the five observables doesn't it lift propulsion and control power generation and then you've got your um the, the materials, the, the configuration and structure. Signature reduction is a huge thing that we've heard about quite a lot. So we know there, going back to 2008, just after the, the, the founding of RSAP, they were specifically looking into these 12 main areas, which were basically a lot like the five observables that we are aware of now. And I found that quite interesting, especially the signature reduction thing. 
because signature management was something that was mentioned in the UAP task force report and I read a really good article about that a while back about how people weren't discussing the signature management aspects of it uh, enough so yeah I thought I thought it was quite interesting to see it uh, popping up there again but DIA chose Bigelow Airspace as the contractor to to actually do this work on behalf of uh, OSAP and uh, Robert Bigelow established BASS which we now know about I mean again none of this is new but I just thought it was interesting to hear it from um, you know from from step by step from somebody who's been there and uh, BASS was basically a group set up um, specifically to carry out this contract for OSAP and BASS apparently, and I didn't know this, but BASS apparently hired some 50 investigators and recruited uh, put off as uh, the advisor to the program. Um, so 50 investigators, that was the bit that I didn't know. I knew that BASS had um, pretty, obviously they had a, a decent amount of funding there. Um, apparently that it was 22 million awarded to OSAP. But I didn't know the extent of how many investigators they actually, um, you know, uh, recruited at the time and i suppose that definitely leaves quite a lot of possibilities of some more of those investigators actually coming forward and stepping out of the shadows as it were as time goes along so then Potoff actually then goes into some detail about how crash retrieval materials would be highly compartmentalized to avoid adversaries from accessing anything. And again, seems to suggest that the main reason for the compartmentalization is adversaries actually being able to access um, the, 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 you know, the information that they've managed to uh, gather. Rather than keeping it from the citizens, it's more about keeping it from adversaries, which again, something that I've discussed before, but again, interesting to hear it from somebody who's been there on the inside, that he thinks that that's the main reason for the compartmentalization. But as we hear all the time, that makes it very difficult for the people who are actually involved in these investigations to actually get anywhere with it basically and to get second opinions and outside help on sorting the problems so within the scientific community that's how scientists manage to do things scientists are very very specialized so you may be by the time you get really to the top levels of science you'll probably have focused on an extremely um specialist area you know like the the conductivity of 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 new and advanced materials so if you're looking at that but you need to find something else about how gravity affects materials or something that's not your area but the trouble is if you're working on something that's so highly secretive and compartmentalized you can't then just go and ask somebody you worked with a few years ago to give you some advice on how gravity would affect something because you can't reveal any aspects of what you're working on. So that's a big limitation. And again, something that's that's come up um, time and time again with people who talk about uh, having worked on these programs. But again, interesting to hear it being reiterated there. So as a way to basically get around that problem, Putoff decided to commission white papers on an unclassified basis from experts all around the world in various areas. So the idea was basically the expert was asked, um, you know, based on the particular special specialty field that they're involved in, they were asked in 2050, where do you think your particular field is going to be? 
where where do you think we'll be up to as human race in your particular field by 2050 now there was no mention of ufos due to the the, the, the reports were going to be unclassified so it was just supposed to be speculative and uh, based on where um, these particular specialists felt that things were going and where they would end up by 2050 and what capabilities we may have by that point and also interestingly just a little side note here um dr Potoff actually mentions that these were from all around the world so it was the best specialist in whatever area it was rather than trying to keep them local or whatever so he actually says that one of the best uh, papers on invisibility came out of scotland invisibility eh hmm thought that was an interesting little uh a little uh, side note there and essentially then what happened from there was 38 contracts were let out based on the areas that were considered significant to this topic by put off um, and again some very interesting areas here such as I'm not going to read them all out because there's loads of them but essentially um, things along the lines of high energy laser weapons, anti-gravity for aerospace applications um, quantum tomography of negative energy states in the vacuum uh, laser light craft nano satellites biomaterials invisibility cloaking so obviously that's the one from scotland um, metamaterials for aerospace use quantum entanglement space communication hmm field effects on human biological tissues and it just goes on and on and on there's obviously 38 of them which i'm not going to read them all out but as you can see you know some very interesting uh things have been looked into there and when these uh you know actual areas came back from the experts that have been looking into them that set of 38 papers was bundled up uh, as Potoff puts it, and put up onto a Pentagon server called JWix, where they were accessible to anybody who was on that Pentagon server. So everybody had access to it, and apparently it was very popular, according to Potoff, um, as as well. And and they were basically accessible as uh, what they called dirds. Um, so that's again something we hear about quite a lot. Defense intelligence reference document. As I say, this is all stuff that has has been out before but as i say just interesting to go into the detail and hear it direct from him and the thing is that Putsoff actually states that these papers can be published by the individual authors so basically that, that was something i wasn't aware of is that all of these papers that ended up being um you know used on this this pentagon server accessible by anybody within the pentagon who needed to see them uh, or wanted to see them um but not available to the public but the thing is is that these papers can actually be published by the people who wrote them and um i think that what he's basically saying is that on the scu website there is actually a list of the papers and the authors of those papers and in the document section that is of the scu website and Potsoff actually encourages uh, people who have an interest in any of those particular areas to contact the authors to request publication if, you, if you're interested in finding out more about the specifics. So that kind of all leads back to something I was saying earlier, which is what Putoff's actual paper was all about. 
and and put off actually um basically made made his own paper as well as obviously all the other people that got involved in doing papers and Putoff's paper was can reported anomalous observations of UAP be accounted for on the basis of known physics and now you see why I said earlier on that that article on the Vatican Observatory website was going to link back to something I mentioned later on here we are at the link point so as you can see there put off directly looked at whether or not these characteristics of uap could exist under known physics as we know them so rather than me trying to explain this i'm just going to actually play a little clip here um of dr put actually explaining it in his own words as well so here we go and generally if you're listening to the news um tv interviews and so on it's always emphasized that this all seems to be so well beyond any kind of physics we can imagine. But actually, because of the approach I took, my answer was to the question, can reported anomalous observations be accounted for in based on physics? My answer was yes. And uh, So he's basically saying there, in no uncertain terms, that after his investigation, he came to the conclusion that that these objects and their movements and characteristics can actually be accounted for with known physics. So a lot of the science behind that, that he goes into following the quote that I just uh, played, is over my head. You know, obviously we're talking about the highest level of, of physics and things here. But it's quite clear that it could be possible, or at least top scientists are theorising that it may be possible um, that these things can do what they're doing it doesn't actually make no sense it's possible under physics as we understand it and the limitation is is mainly our material science uh, our energy um, generation capabilities and things like that that's why we can't achieve these things but it could be possible once our energy generation and material science advances there's nothing to suggest that the movements and capabilities are impossible according to known physics and i think rather than me try and explain it because it's a lot of it's way over my head and um, the best thing for you to do is go and check out that interview if you're interested in um figuring out how he's actually been able to calculate this and and, and reach those conclusions i recommend you go and watch the video um it's around about the 24 minute mark where he gets into that specific thing but he goes into very complicated equations as to um the reasons why he thinks that that's the case which is as i say above over my head it's above my pay grade but um but yeah you should definitely if you're interested in finding out why but my point there is we're talking about you know top scientists discussing saying actually you know what it is possible you know in terms of physics it can be done we just don't have the technology to actually achieve it yet we don't have it could be done but you would need this amount of power to do it which is absolutely uh, nowhere near what we're capable of generating especially in a tiny you know a relatively small object and you know we don't have the material to do it we don't have the energy um, generation capabilities to do it but physics wise there's nothing to stop it from happening. It's not impossible according to the laws of physics. So it did kind of remind me of the, the Bob Lazar thing of how we couldn't explain how um, a certain object, uh, I think it was a disc object that he saw, uh, he couldn't explain how it could be made. But then, you know, as the years went along, decades went by and 
we invented 3D printing, now it seems kind of obvious that how you would make something, you would 3D print it perhaps. And, you know, as technology goes along, things become a bit clearer as to how they could be possible. But the key point there is that in terms of physics, there's nothing to suggest, at least according to Dr. Puttoff, and I've heard other other people talk about this as well, physicists and various people in a lot more um, place of knowledge on, on that topic than I am, obviously. Um, I've heard a lot of other people suggesting the same as well. So this thing about them UFOs defying physics is not really the case um and and as i say you know who knows what else will be developed technology wise which will completely change our understanding of these things and and how they operate and and how it's even possible that they do what they do so we're going to wrap up with a bit of a uh, talk about this new documentary on channel five which has just uh, gone out as well so for the listeners in the united states I think you can see this. I'm not exactly sure. It's a UK channel, uh, Channel 5. Not generally known as the most highbrow intellectual channel, if I'm honest with you. There's, over the years, it's always been a bit of a, um, you know, a bit of a, a, a less kind of classy channel, I'll put it that way. Um, but, you know, I, I never tune in day to day, but I've seen people talking about it on Twitter saying that there's this new uh, documentary. So I thought anything UFO based, I'll give it a watch or at least for the first five, ten minutes to see what it's about. And when I first started watching it, there were a bit too many fake shots at the beginning for my liking. It looked a bit silly, a lot of alien monsters and sort of, you know, stuff like that. And I'll be honest, I almost turned it off after the first couple of minutes. Like, But as it got going, I was actually quite pleasantly surprised. I actually think from what I've seen so far, I watched half of this documentary last night and I didn't get the chance to watch the second half, but the first half of it was, was actually quite good. I think it was worth a watch. Um and um, I'm going to be watching the second half of it later on. It's it's an hour and a half long in total. Uh, and I'll just quickly try and find out what it's actually called, just in case anybody would like to watch it. Okay, so it turns out it was actually quite difficult to find, so it was a good job I looked. Um, so, yeah, basically it's called uh, UFO Conspiracy Hunt for the Truth. And uh, if you go to, if you just Google Channel 5 or channel5.com and type in UFO, it comes up. It's 90 minutes long. And as I say, I think it's actually worth a watch. Um, so it's a UK-based channel, but I think you'll be able to watch it from the States. And even if you can't, you should be getting yourself a VPN by this point, And then you'll be able to watch it from wherever you are in the world. And as I say, it's not bad. Um, it's, uh, it's not really going to be any mind-blowing new things, but uh, as I heard a few people mentioning recently, documentaries aren't really the, the, the thing where you're going to hear about mind-blowing new information anyway. I mean, that would be something that would be these days. It's leaked on social media, or you might hear about it in a newspaper article, but it's not really been any occasions that I know of where a documentary is the thing that actually breaks a story. You know, it's more a case of rounding up all of the... the current existing stories and and you know putting it all into one place so that you can get a, a snapshot of, of where we're up to and for that 
purpose i thought it's actually quite good as i say i've only seen the first half as we know with documentaries sometimes you can start off well and tail off as happened with the uh, the hbo jj uh, abrams one the first two episodes were pretty good and the third and the fourth we just went off a cliff edge so there's always the possibility that that could happen with this one but so far it doesn't seem too bad and i've actually seen some uh relatively positive feedback for it on ufo twitter as well which is why i thought i'd I'd give it a watch um so as i say the only criticisms really that i've heard of it is that it doesn't really have anything you know new in there nothing nothing really too astonishing but as i say from the point of view of giving somebody an overall kind of picture of where we're up to at the moment not too bad it actually goes into more detail than i thought it would about certain cases and um it tends to veer away from the more conspiracy type things which is what you know what i like um i, I tend to avoid conspiracy so most of the time i don't, I don't think uh, there's much to it uh, with those kinds of things and as i say my only criticism is that kind of like alien monsters you know spooky alien invasion type stuff at the beginning because I, th- I just think it's a bit silly and not really necessary but it kind of made me think you know it's like i sat and watched uh, you know an hour long or however long it was, I can't really remember now, uh, the Hal Puttoff presentation, uh, and I was absolutely fascinated by it, and I thought it was brilliant, and and loads of really good information in there, and uh, as I say, not really that much new stuff, but, you know, really great to hear it all direct from somebody who was there on the ground, Um, and, and... and that's my kind of thing, you know, uh, 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 like one of the world's leading, you know, um, professors who's been involved in, in UFO investigations over the years and stuff. But actually, the public probably wouldn't see that, wouldn't see that the same way, you know? It's like, I think to a certain extent, for people who, who aren't really interested in this topic, you kind of have to hook them in with some ridiculous stuff and, you know... If you sat down a person who wasn't really interested in UFOs but sort of like mildly open to it and you showed them the hell put off thing that I saw, most of that's probably going to go over the head. So I suppose you do have to bear in mind that, you know, a documentary isn't necessarily aimed at somebody like me who's quite happy to sit and watch Hal Puttoff for an hour. It's aimed at somebody who's got a passing interest and you have to snag them in with the, the sensationalist stuff at the beginning and then if you consider that that's why they do that stuff at the start, I do get it. But having said that, on the other hand, that was exactly the type of stuff that put me off looking into the UFO topic more deeply in the past. I'd put on a document. I was always really hungry for information about the topic, but I'd find myself watching a documentary and it'd go down one of these paths of like conspiracy stuff or, um, like I say, you know, ridiculous, obviously fake shots of aliens and things. And you're just going, what? You know, or I'd watch. Um, you know the the Stephen Greer film. Um, what was it? Sirius, I believe it was the one where he shows the the alien body. And and most of the film, really, the real weight in that film is we've got a real alien body. And anyway, as soon as I finish watching the film, you jump on the internet, you find out actually it was proven that it wasn't an alien body by extremely highly respected scientists. It just throws everything else that's in the film into question. And as I say, it's a weird one because on the one hand, the documentary has to have some sensationalist, wacky stuff that's not really my cup of tea to hook people in and then you know have some other really good information in there as well. So I get why it happens, but on the other hand those kind of things are what used to put me off watching documentaries and 
it's a tough balance, isn't it? You know, especially as uh, as the whole landscape of the UFO topic changes, it's difficult to find the balance. And I suppose another thing to consider as well is that it takes a long time to make a documentary. So the documentaries that we're seeing now, you know, haven't been made with right up to date thinking in mind you know they may have been started a year ago which the whole landscape was totally different the the task force report hadn't come out a year ago you know there was certainly no actual you know office being created and signed by the president into actually happening back then so i suppose that is something to consider as well when you do watch a documentary it's based on you know kind of how things were six months or a year ago um, because you know obviously all the footage gets shot it gets planned out and then everything gets edited it can be edited for months and months and the audio getting done and then all of the publicity all of the the different cogs in the machine have to turn at the right moments before finally it gets released um and you know ross coltart's recent documentary he he made a documentary and then ended up kind of re-releasing it with a half and half an hour or so of extra footage to bring it up to date based on the more recent development so it's not easy getting the balance right on these things so you know i'm trying to kind of go easy on them when it comes to some of that stuff and you know it's even even the new ancient aliens series from what i've seen of it from the trailers i think ryan sprague is in it and uh he was he was mentioning on on twitter earlier on today that um you know really they should change the name because it's not even about ancient aliens anymore it's more about kind of what's been going on recently and jeremy carbell's in it and so on um and uh yeah even ancient aliens is changing its tone you know that 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 in itself is is definitely a a marker that that things times they are a changing uh ladies and gentlemen so yeah, we're basically at the end of the podcast there for today. Uh, so I hope you've enjoyed having a listen. If you are still here persevering with my rambling and uh, you've got to this point in the podcast, then congratulations. You are a hardcore listener of this podcast. So very much appreciated. And um, as always, you can always jump on the Patreon and support the podcast if you get a lot from it and you feel like it's worth giving something back to help. Uh, with with the podcast and uh, patreon.com forward slash ufo thinker it's like you can pay a couple of pound a month and get early access i always put the episodes out at least a day early sometimes two or three days earlier for the patrons in in return for supporting the pod so till next time take it easy stay curious and i'll catch you guys in the next episode You have a favorite podcast.